But nowadays, and there's a so whole different now. style going on. And there's a, it, it, I think it's been influenced by commercials and MTV very and a whole, a whole lot of very fast... What do you, what do you, I mean, listen, you did stuff that influenced them, as we know, to shoot, certainly on MTV, a lot. Not just a little, not a couple, but a lot. But my That's style, feeling. see, is not is is much different than it's old fashioned. Well, it's much more old fashioned than yeah. Than but see, your style, I think, what was interesting to, is like I watch a movie like The Fog. Your style then was old fashioned too. Mm-hmm. Because oh, yeah. you I never were changed. I never all changed. about telling story. Uh, yeah, well, that. And I mean, I think that's why I like doing movies with you because I like stories. Well, I that really was beaten do into like my head the same way you were trained. Okay, about craft in the in your time at Disney. Mm-hmm. Well, I was it was beaten into my head from my college. Well, that days. was the well, for me. That was the Walt Disney deal. Was that he he believed in telling a story. Now, I think the great thing is when you get the combination of great visualists uh-huh. with storytelling. With storytelling, that's yeah. cool. That's to me. That's yeah. you know, that's gonna. That's, it's always gonna, gonna win, win, isn't it? It's gonna win. Yeah. Whereas I really would rather see. Ah, it's hard to say. I mean, I could pick and criticize and stuff, but I I like some movies as much as the next guy that doesn't really tell a lot of story and make me feel a lot, but it's visually fantastic. That's fun to watch. It's right? okay. I'm yeah. okay with that, and I'm okay also with a really good story that's told very flatly. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that too. Mm-hmm. But to me, if you've got a combination of of the two, of just some combination of the two. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be greatly shot. Just has it just tells the story. It just you know has a way of telling the story, and uh, I, I mean I'd be interested in what you you know you're in that world. What you know you're in that world with these guys with what's going on now. Well, it, you know the world certainly has changed. You know as you get older, you were talking about turning coming up to fifty. I mean I've just turned fifty three and I've. I've been doing. I've been directing for features Since for you were, about thirty years, yeah, professionally. But you were yeah. also making movies when you were eight oh, years yeah, old. Oh yeah, when I was young. I mean, you were but, making full on. But real features. I mean, re- real feature movies uh, for about thirty-one years. And uh, it's it certain everything has changed about the business. But the the essentials of storytelling have never changed. No. I mean, you can you, if you know the rules and you can break them and invert them. You right. can do all sorts of great stuff. Right. You can but tell, but you have to know the rules of it. Yeah, or at least some basics of it, and it's it's much like anybody's craft. You, you kind of have some basics that you got to cover. No, be afraid. Be very afraid. There's nothing to fear except God. Whatever that means to you. You're listening to a podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is the fear of God. Hello, welcome back to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And guys, Reed was here, but after last week's part one of our discussion with best-selling author Matt Ruff, Reed started acting all erratic and crazy, and Matt and I had to put him out in the shed until he could calm down. I hope he will calm down. In the meantime, welcome back 
to the end of our John Carpenter run of episodes, a subset of our mega series discussing season four of Stranger Things. Today's main content is part two of one long conversation we had with Matt Ruff, friend of the show, author of Lovecraft Country and many other books, uh, one of which he discusses as part of this conversation that is forthcoming that we're very excited about. Last week, we talked with Matt about his love of John Carpenter generally and escape from New York, specifically with a healthy dollop of The Thing at the end. This week, we all take a blood test to determine who's really who, discussing The Thing in greater depth and rounding it all out by getting into some big trouble in Little China. All while featuring patron-only segments devoted to Stranger Things episodes. Without further ado, friends and foggers, be sure to leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Vote in the Foggies and find all your other fog and wants and needs at thefearofgodpodcast.com. If you're not a patron yet, any second now you can enjoy part two of our conversation with Matt Ruff about the works of John Carpenter. But if you have joined us on Patreon, coming right up, we're joined by Vera Gowdy and Hawkins Intrepid Adventurers as we hop in the Patron Mobile. Um, so, so if we if we can, gentlemen. Um, so I'm, I, I, I want to pivot out, uh, if you don't mind, uh, kind of away from, I, I want to escape from New York for a bit. Um, <laughs> um, so the very first time that Kurt Russell made a film with John Carpenter is actually like a two and a half hour biopic of Elvis. Um, oh, yeah. and it was made, it was made for TV and, and I've seen it and it's perfectly fine. I mean, uh, it, it's interesting that Elvis is kind of uh, a biopic of Elvis is kind of in the conversation right now with the Baz Luhrmann film and everything. But, but like I watched it, it's, it's pretty slow paced. You gotta, gotta be into Elvis if you, if you want to see it. So it's not part of this conversation, but ostensibly there's this run where John Carpenter and Kurt Russell make some really great films. Um, you know, you got escape from New York and then I want to spend a little bit of time on the thing, if we can, if we can pivot from that sure. before we get into uh, big trouble in little China. So I, I cited earlier, obviously, I put thing at number one. Uh, it felt like you you both agreed to a certain degree that it's like yeah, there's other things that that we if we were considering other things maybe the list would be different. But in terms of horror, like the thing is is kind of the peak for John Carpenter. And um, when I was rewatching it for this, I said earlier, and it's not as if I look for this in films, but just sometimes things stand out. I could I couldn't find a flaw, like. Sure, you can maybe point to some of the effects as like, well, that's notably fake or whatever, but they still look so great. Like yeah. some, the, you know, like the the special effects, and they're they're nasty and they're grimy, but boy, they look fantastic. And I'm I'm checking out the performances and the scripting moment and the tension and the and the, uh, you know, just the the shot setup. And ironically, considering how great a music composer John Carpenter is, it's Ennio Morricone making mm -hmm. the score for this, but the score is magnificent and and just this entire undertone to the piece. And I will say this maybe as a lead-in for us having a few moments to talk about it. So, Nathan, I haven't been able to figure out why. In five years of podcasting, I haven't been able to figure out why. But if if some random person, and we actually do get asked this from time to time just from, from, from more devoted and continual people that we talk to about the show – um, well, if you ever wanted to redo an episode, and for me, if there was one episode that I wish we could have like a new pass at, 
for doing like just with the way we do podcasting now, as opposed to how we did it five years ago, it would be the thing because the thing sits so prominently in my imagination and I love it so much. And, and, and I feel like there's just so, and we don't have to do it in this conversation, like have a whole rehash on it, but I do want to spend a few minutes on it. Cause I just think there's, there's so many great things about that movie. Uh, it's the 40th anniversary this year. Wow. Um, and uh, and uh, and I think forty years I'm later, old. it's aged. <laughs> <laughs> I but, told you uh, not to get that snake tattoo on your tummy, man. That <laughs> gum. But uh, but I just I, I I love the film. Every time I think about it, every time I see it, uh, the esteem for it rises more and more. And so, yeah, just wanted to spend a, a few minutes talking about it, uh, Matt. I'm going to pivot over to you. Uh, for just uh, your your history with the thing and 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 your just kind of your feelings about it, sort of in general. Saw it in the theater, got it right away, loved it, and unfortunately <laughs> there weren't many people who reacted that way. I guess, but yeah, yeah. I, I right yeah. away loved it. And there's a bit of trivia that stays with me that I, I don't know where I first heard this, and I haven't gone back to reconfirm it. But apparently, like the original vision for this was, it was going to be much more conventional. It was just going to be an alien, and then. He got to, it's after he got talking to his special effects guys that they're like, you know, we can do this shape shifting thing. And that was what made the thing the thing was this idea that you can, you can actually have this creature that, that morphs into other shapes and, and can imitate people. That apparently was not part of the earliest concept of it. And, mm-hmm. and like talk about luck that, that they, they hit on that because of course that's what makes the movie the movie. And, the other thing about it is that, yeah, it, it shows the strength of practical effects because today you mm. would do a lot of this stuff with CGI. And it actually, the reason, the reason it is so visceral is the fact that, that you're actually seeing like the, the, the scene that, that stays with me forever is the, the guy having some sort of heart trouble and mm. the doctor yeah. goes to give him, yeah. you know, goes uh-huh. to shock him. And then his, his stomach opens up into a large mouth and bites the doctor's hands off. And then, Oh my God. They set fire to the body, but then the guy's head kind of just sort of stretches and falls off the far side of the table, sprouts legs, and starts walking away. And there's this great moment where it almost escapes them. And then one of the guys looks around. And he's like, you've got to be effing kidding me. I know. And, oh, and my God. So, and, and it works because the things are really in the room and it, they move the way real objects do. And a CGI mm-hmm. would probably not, not – you would tell it was fake and it would, it would ruin that. Um, yeah. Hello, it chapter two. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I haven't haven't done that yet. Um, mm. Yeah. Mm. There's a very direct the thing inspired VFX in it that mm. I'm shocked that don't work as <laughs> but no, d- that but don't, that work, don't work as well because of you know yeah it, it it it's hard to I mean yes computers can do amazing things um, you just praised them last week Reed I know good job computers but. <laughs> But I mean, like, yeah, just the imagination of like, like the first time that freaking dog oh, yeah. is in with uh, the dog pen uh, and then it's, it's face like splits open yeah. into this, like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And, and again, it's all right there in the room. Like it was there physically present with them. Um, and it's just, and, and one of the things that I just can't get over about the thing as a, as an overall piece is the tone. The tone is so pitch perfect for this, you know, like, and that's something that often doesn't get talked about, not even on this show, but it has got such a, 
uh, like Nathan, you and I were talking about this a little bit uh, on text, just talking about the thing, but it's like, it's almost got a melancholy quality to it that further supports the thematic things it's interested in. That just the, the, this almost undercurrent of grief, uh, when, when the, the, the captain, I think his, his name might be, uh, it starts with a C, but I can't remember all of their names, but he's the lead guy in the, in the, in the beginning. I want to say it's Copper, but that's not right. But, um, the Copper's the doctor. Yeah. Copper's the doctor. That's right. But this is the, this is the captain guy, the guy who had the key that, that they suspected. Gary. Is what is his name? Gary or Gary? Gary, maybe. Harry Carey. (laughs) And his (laughs) brother Gary. But the moment when, now I remember this guy's name, but the moment when Bennings, which Bennings is the the, the guy that gets killed out in the snow. He's the first one that they see him trying, him starting to transform into the thing. And when that leader, they're talking about having to burn it, there's this moment that a lesser filmmaker would have bypassed for the sake of some horror, but there's that moment where he looks at me and said, I've known him for 10 years. And there's this, you can see him trying to grapple, the character trying to grapple with the reality of, yeah. Bur- burn him? What are you talking? I've known this guy for 10 years. Like, what are we even doing? What are we talking about? And the rapidity with which, like, Blair loses himself in, yeah. uh, we can't let anybody leave. You know, like, this, w- w- to, to bring it back to what I'm talking about and then let somebody else talk is, the melancholy underneath all of that, that I think contemporary audiences largely missed, but, but the melancholy underneath that of like the, this, this grand tragedy to the, the steady deterioration of losing yourself that has a lot of resonance today. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. The, the things that that film pulls off. Uh, I don't know. That's, I want to shut up and let other people talk for. By the way, the guy's name is Gary. I just looked it up. That, that's, Gary. That's, okay. Well, yeah. you don't remember it. It doesn't sound like what you call the captain. It's like, hey, Gary. Right. You're, right. you're in charge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The yeah. Garys of the world just winced, Matt. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> right when you said that, it's as if a million Garys cried out and suddenly we're silenced. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, well, what if? You and Matt both tried to talk at the same time, so I just, I don't know. You may not be who you are. So, um, (laughs) Matt, I, my association with this film going in, you you used to, because I applauded you because you're a very smart individual and, and, um, I esteem you for that because you, you, even then you just reaffirmed it. You said, first time I saw it, I got it. When I came into it, I, I had as association an X Files episode called Ice because I'm a big X Files fan. Oh, yeah. Uh, And I knew Ice was, a kind of transliteration to X-Files of the thing. Uh, what I wasn't prepared for in the original viewing of my re- initial viewing of the thing five years ago was <laughs> it, that movie is fogged up y'all. Um, if I can use a uh, uh, podcast language and, and what I texted read today uh, is that the grotesquery for me kind of clouded my view the first go round. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, that dog. Oh, no, like it was, it was, it was a bit much for me at the time. Humorously, quite. I've come a long way, y'all. Yeah, Reed, yeah. Listeners. I'm proud of you. I was watching it this time, and I was like, "Hmm, look at that dog." <laughs> <laughs> it's a dramatic boomerang effect that has happened in my movie consumption. Look at that! Look at that dog! Look at that thing that dog did. <laughs> that dog just needs a home. He's a he's a good boy. Um, so. I, I knew it's it's more grotesque elements were coming, so they, those weren't shocking. So I was able to focus much more intently on the mood, the vibe, 
you know, what I texted Reed today is literally I'm reading this. It says, here's the thing. (laughs) (laughs) I love, I love the thing. Um, I said, while it's excesses can visually border on cartoonish, it's vibe, it's somberness. It's dare. I say it's sorrow, it's performances, it's themes, it's Kurt Russell all work for me. And Reed, you, uh, some commentary you just offered made me think of this to your point about the gentleman talking about Bennings. Like you are watching and <laughs> holy cow, I just got a pang of emotion thinking about it. Like you are watching the dissolution of community. Like mm. these mm-hmm. are peers. And argue, I can't remember if it explicitly states how long these little, this little group has been together. But these are peers at at most surface, res, you know, amongst themselves respected colleagues, one level down. Beyond even that, invested friends, right? And so you are literally watching this breaking of community. Now it's it's dramatized through sensational VFX and what are you know kind of um visuals but that theme the 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 weight these people carry i mean mccready when he re-enters the scene his he's arguably kind of lost then right like yeah. he, he's yeah. the the anger has metastasized into you know kind of uh, this this a corner has been turned for him once he gets abandoned out there and and no i i I found deep appreciation for it. Um, this go round that, that was, if I had anything approaching appreciation five years ago, it was more cursory, like, Oh, okay. Oh my God, this is crazy. Uh, now mm-hmm. it's, it, it was a true, like, okay, this is a pretty awesome movie. And what's fascinating is, you know, in this recurring theme in Carpenter Redux for fear of God of man against institution, person, human against institution, this, this, a reason, this is almost a more dirge full, uh, uh, version of storytelling is it, it winnows it down to person against person and that sort of isolated conflict, irreconcilable conflict as it's presented yeah. Yeah. is the sorrow that carries us forth. Reed, I, I six weeks ago, uh, in recent view said, I miss thinking well of people. Yeah. And like this Mm -hmm. story presses that button for me. Like that, that feeling that I don't know if I can trust you. And that is a, that's a way to walk in the world. And, and yet this movie is so fantastic at articulating that exact gnawing sensation. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. There's a, so I'm, I'm building up to a question okay. and uh, it's, it's a bit of a curveball question because it's so off. Well, because it's so offbeat, each of you may need a, a, a minute to think about it. And that's, that's fine. That's fair. Um, but I want to cite two moments from the film. Uh, one of them is when Kurt Russell uh, playing RJ McCready is talking into a tape recorder and he keeps like rewinding it and listening mm-hmm. back to it and rewinds it, listen back to it. But he says in this one moment, he says, um, nobody trusts anybody anymore and we're all very tired. Yeah. And I was like, like to your point, Nathan, like my God, I don't think I felt it the same way five years ago as yeah. I felt it watching it like in sure. the here and now of just like nobody trusts anybody anymore. 
and we're all very tired. And I was just like, oh my, oh my goodness, like just the resonance there. But the question that I'm building up to, there's that other scene, which again is understated. I mean, you know, talk about an incredible cast. You know, you've, you've also got Wilford Brimley playing Blair. He's great. And he's wonderful in this role. I mean, so fantastic. I don't think I've ever seen him better. And he I don't know. is peddling those up op- that oatmeal. <laughs> Diabetes. So, <laughs> so, sorry. You did it. You did it. I, just, I, I, I thought just the pinnacle of his career was playing a Cajun in uh, Hard Target, but you know. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but he's you know he's wonderful in this and in and after he has his first big freak out and he's in the shed by himself. The moment that I'm building up to is almost a throwaway line, but man, it stood out to me so much because I don't know what it's rooted in. I don't know what I don't know what this this character's observation is rooted in. Um, so Blair says very sincerely, you know, McCready and him are having a quiet moment after his big freakout, and he says, um, you know, like, "How you doing, Blair?" And Blair says, "I don't know who to trust." And Kurt Russell's character says. I know what you mean, Blair. Trust is a hard thing to come by these days. And then he says, in by delivery and by everything else, says in almost a throwaway line, he said, why don't you just trust in the Lord? And the question that I have to both of you is, for that character, do you, Are you about think- to do an altar call? No, oh, okay, no. Okay. Let me ask I'm the question. Kidding. I know, I'm kidding. So, <laughs> so, so my question is, for the character, do you think that that character is, is a character that kind of believes in a thing and is saying it in a sincere effort to be comforting? Or is he kind of trying to do it as a throwaway sort of, this is the passive? Because it is such an odd thing to toss out there in a film that is uninterested in religion elsewhere through its through its run. So that's my question, is what's your take on that? I, you on know, that it's funny, I twigged on that same line today when I was watching it again, mm-hmm. and I'd, I'd totally yeah. forgotten that he says that. And it was like, that is an odd thing to say. And, and, yeah. and I, I do not get the sense at all that it was meant sincerely in the sense of, you know, I'm, you know, I, I don't see McCready as a believer at all. I think it was, yeah, yeah. I, I think it was more just a, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's like he's not, yeah. not, not sarcastic, but just sort of, it is just sort of, he was just to say something, I guess, like a sardonic throwaway, yeah. you know, sort of, oh, you know, trust in the Lord or whatever. And I, it's like, basically, I've got nothing for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, yeah. we, we, we just... don't, we don't know who to trust either. And, you know, that's, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah. And so it was just, yeah, it was just fascinating to me. Nathan, I want to hear your, your, your thoughts on it as well. It was just because, because I'm, I'm, I'm grappling with what the character means when he throws that out there. And maybe the character means nothing more than just to your point, Matt, this is just a thing to say because McCready does not strike me as a religious person. Maybe he's saying it because Blair as a character is a religious person. So he's trying to comfort Blair in his own language. Cause we don't know enough about any of these characters to really know their histories, but maybe Blair as an individual is a religious person. So he's relating in that way. Um, but it doesn't totally feel like a jab either if you know because mccready is you know anyway didn't so, feel Nathan, malicious yeah. it just felt like yeah like right something to say and i yeah i don't know what it meant either <laughs> yeah nathan you got tell us what it means nathan okay well fellows <laughs> i'm glad you asked Reed because <laughs> i've been waiting for this one um <laughs> one thing so 
this is a sort of secondary film to our primary two and listeners will be mad that we didn't explicitly preamble where we would go here. And so I'm sensitive to that. But what that also meant was I didn't take any notes this time around. So a lot of it is impression and memory. But so I've got few specific examples for what I'm about to say. But a thing that stood out to me on this viewing was all the tiny moments, tiny human moments, mm. little looks, little little lingering shots on on a human thinking right on on mm. a person pondering on a on a person despairing on a person looking and and remembering right there's a mm. lot of little breaths in the edit yeah. and i say that to say while i won't go so far as to say i think it's a pure throwaway cuz i do think I think what I know at this point, which again, arguably is still as novitiate of Carpenter's output, whether all of it always works for me, notwithstanding, he's a thoughtful guy. And, mm-hmm. and this is a, by virtue of, of the themes it explicitly is running at, this is a thoughtful film. Um, and so, right. so to me in that moment, cause yeah, of course, like you've both said, it, it, it stood out because of how little else there is there. I mean, part of me, I think is it's possibly just gallows humor, right? But Mm. there's also a world where it's McCready acknowledging the creeping dread, the creeping hopelessness, the creeping, I think we're all fogged here. And Mm. this Mm. like, what do you do? But acknowledge that it's not going to be salvation. In, in the sort of metaphorical sense, isn't going to come from here. Like it's, it's mm. not, you know, like who do I trust? What do I do? Okay. Oh, I don't know, man, <laughs> you know, cause, cause we're, we're all kind of about to get torched in whatever sort of literal or metaphorical fashion we're talking. And, yeah. and so again, I don't know that it's a pure throwaway. McCready doesn't strike me as that type of character, mm-hmm. but I think it's rooted just in an acknowledgement that I think our goose might be cooked. Don't know what that's going to mean yet, but, you know, if salvation is going to come, it's not going to come from this camp kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. One other little thing I wanted to just check going by and I, is the, the thing where he is recording that tape and he says the thing about mm-hmm. nobody trusts everybody, anybody. I, I believe he then reverses the tape and tapes over it. He doesn't want to leave that. He does. Yes. And it, it's, it, that, that, that always struck me that, that, that's sort of a kindness is like, I don't want to, if, if I'm going to die, I don't want to bad mouth my my fellows mm. it, it was like a, a, yeah. you know, hmm. y- you can read between the lines that this is how we would be feeling but i'm not going to leave a record of that part of it and i thought yeah. that was that was a great character moment too oh i totally yeah. well and you make that, that point kind of undergirds what i was trying to scratch at which is and you articulated well is this the movie itself is inviting you to read between the lines mm-hmm. it's <laughs> saying hey you know um one of you made a reference that made me think of this a little while back now, but like use your imagination here. Like, like what do you think these guys are like when they're not pitched against, you know, the worst darkness they've ever known? Like, like there are, there are breaths in the film that invite you to think, Oh, those two guys don't really care for each other. Those two guys are good buddies. Those two guys have known (laughs) each other for quite some time. That guy's a jerk. That guy's, you know, the cool kid, whatever. Like, however little active service each individual character gets, it is a, it's an ensemble um, Mm -hmm. and and kind of reads that way. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, 
you're so on point as well about just the small touches of just like a shot of a of a character thinking and pondering uh i paid attention to this time around uh during the blood test scene i i had forgotten up until right before it happened that it was palmer Mm-hmm. I had forgotten. I've seen this movie a bunch of times, and I'm just like, which one is it? I forget which one it is. Which one goes crazy? And then right before what clued me in on it is there's a shot before McCready takes the hot needle to Palmer's blood that it flashes to Palmer, and Palmer is the only one who's not eyeballing the, the vial. Every Everybody else is eyeballing the vial like, is it? Is it? I don't know. And Palmer, when he's about to go in, is just like looking down and just kind of like, because because he knows he's about to be found out because it's the thing so he he knows he's about to to be outed and uh, and I just found that really 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 fascinating um, and I think I think one of the things that the film just just has this sort of staying power for is the ways in which it's called the thing they don't call it the alien. They don't call it the shapeshifter. They don't give it some hybrid multiple times in the script. They call it the thing. And I kind of kind of breaks my heart, but also ignites my imagination. Nathan, that you like the dissolving of the community that we witness here. And there is this nameless, literally shapeless thing that comes in and just decimates this community, just unravels it from the inside out. And, I think the reason why that film has grown in such esteem and continues to resonate with people is the truth of that reality. As horrific as it is, and as much as we'd want to deny it about ourselves, like the fact that a a close-knit community built on at least a foundation of mutual respect and common goal introduce a thing into the middle of it, and it can piece by piece begin to make people lose themselves and lose their trust lose their their unity with one another lose their common you know uh, goals and efforts and all begin to dissolve which is terrifying and as we've sadly witnessed too often uh unfortunately all too plausible as well which is uh, i think that's why it's so resonant one of many reasons why it's so resonant um well yeah. and 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 to your point one one thing I found myself impressed with this time and, and often can be when this is done well and, and Matt as crafter of fiction narrative, you might be able to speak to this a little bit, but like I hate, I'll frame it this way. I hate in uh, a narrative form like ensemble that we know is going to get picked off one by one. I hate <laughs> when you can see the seams really loudly of you know, okay, here's when this is going to happen. One thing I found impressive and to maybe make myself more clear there is this viewing is like the, the ways we lose characters in this is very organic. It's very, you know, it's not just now it's time for so-and-so to die because we need, it's this point in the act, it's the act break or whatever. Um, one final note mechanically on, uh, the narrative, but the blood test scene, I think I love, and this is, it's almost a reverse Chekhov's gun, which is to say, we know fire dispatches it. This whole blood test sequence, he's operating on a different wavelength, this flamethrower, and then the flamethrower won't work for him. Like that, mm-hmm. that honestly, this time around is like, oh my God, I know <laughs> Kurt Russell survives this movie, but that was so stressful because all of these guys are tied up. He's the only one with the means 
to dispatch what's happening before them and cannot get it to work. It was, it was really cool. Well, there was also the thing that struck me in that scene this time is like that if you, if you're dealing with something that you're going to want to incinerate, if it, it, you probably don't want to tie all the guys together in a row. Because yeah, yeah, even if the flamethrower works, you can't use it until you right. like cut the ropes or the thing breaks loose. It's like very loose. conveniently Palmer leaps up to the ceiling and gets out of the line of fire and, Sure. If I'd been yeah. if I'd been the thing, I probably wouldn't have made that move because that exposes me. But <laughs> um, but yeah, there's that great moment when the the three guys are trying to pull loose and he's just yes. changing and and yeah, yes. that was that was something. But yeah, yeah, I, I know what you mean. I mean, there there are two issues with that. One is that yes, the deaths are often telegraphed. It's like you can just tell who's going next. And this one, you I, you really never knew. Um, yeah. And I, I found, even though I had seen this many times and had memorized parts of it, there I was still, yeah, I was still caught off guard by the sequencing, and it 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 did feel much more organic, like death in real life, when you never know when it's you know it's going to be your turn. I mean, mm-hmm. I, other than the obvious things, you know, McCready's not going to be the not going to die before the end. He's going to last to the finish. Um, right. Did y'all catch? Um I, I saw this little trivial bit today and, and IMDb is, is riddled with them. I did not get through them all because uh, there's a, <laughs> a bounty. But um, the scene when the dog, that's just a beautiful dog. Uh, I really hate when that dog goes. But um, <laughs> when the dog is wandering the hall and the shadowed figure, right? Yeah. Uh, there was a note where Carpenter was very intentional that none of the actual actors in the film are that shadow. Mm, wow. because yeah. he didn't he didn't want to signal any suggestion of who it might actually be i was looking at that today and i was trying to i was trying to see it is and it struck me this is none of the actors i i, I didn't yeah. know the trivia yeah. but wow. it's just like he probably did a deliberate fake out because i yeah i, I didn't yeah, recognize awesome. the profile and i'm like okay mm-hmm. so and so it- oh, I, I, we need to move on from the thing Reed. i'll let you lead that charge but i, sure. I guess you know, partly just because I enjoyed the movie more than I expected this time and, and it's fun talking about it. But like sequentially, I mean, Blair's gone pretty quick, right? Like he's turned over. I think I think Blair gets got in the shed. So when I was oh, really? watching it when when I was watching it this time around, I think Blair is one hundred percent human being oh, yeah. and he freaks out. And then That's what I thought. When, yeah. when they come back and Blair is eating out of the can. And he looks at him, and if you notice, there's a noose right yeah, there. That was, that was right. a great moment of comedy. Oh man! But then he, uh, but when he looks up at him, he's like, "I want to come back in. I'm all better now." My my interpretation is that he's the thing in that moment. That he it, he has been got at that moment, and he is trying to get back into the thing because he's completely calm. I don't think he's he's Blair any longer. Like my interpretation is that is the moment. That sometime between the time where McCready last left him and he last come and he next comes back to check on him, sometime in between there, the thing got him. How? Yeah. I don't know. Sure. But that that because he is so even in his pleading, he is not elevated. He's not tipping himself off. He's not going back to that other place. And I don't think Blair, the human being, would be trying to make his way back in there. Like he doesn't know who to trust. Sure. You know, and so I don't think he would be trying to make his way back in there. So that for me was the moment I was like, mm. oh, yeah, he's he's already the guy now. He's already the thing. I think you could read mm. the performance either way. Um, yeah, mm. because I, I think he's still clearly altered. 
and he's maybe yeah. got enough semblance to recognize that screaming is not going to get me what I want. But Ooh, but I, but, mm. I, but I think you're right that that it probably makes more sense that he's converted a point because the thing is also not necessarily going to be that bright in trying to to wheedle them. I, I so it, yeah. It would make sense that it's kind of a fish out of water thing. It's like, how do I talk them into letting me back in the place? Um, yeah. And then there's also the time issue. If we believe he's been building this, you know, he's had time yeah, to dig this yeah. tunnel under that the was... and, and building this thing. He's He's been the thing for a while. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, exactly. That, um, that if I had, it, if we were in a formal episode about that thing right now and, and we were, uh, you know, citing any criticism whatsoever, that one did beggar belief a little bit like, uh, I'll go with you here, but <laughs> how long have we been out here? Um, how long has he been in that shed building that thing under the ground? Yeah. 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 It, it was definitely like, yeah. okay, cool. Whatever you want to do. Yeah. But I mean, we're just gonna, um, we're just gonna roll with it. Yeah. I mean, another thing about the movie though, that's worth pointing out is that it, it's exactly the kind of, it's comfortable with having a question like that be unanswerable. You know, and there's, yeah. the, the, mm-hmm. there's the big debate that people have about the ending of the movie is like, yeah, it does. Does Carpenter know whether either Childs, whether Childs has turned? And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and my thought is if he's as good a filmmaker and storyteller as I know that he is, the, the, the proper answer to that is no, you don't answer that question even in your own head right. because it, it, that's the whole point of the film is that right. you're, you're left out there in limbo not knowing and it, it, yeah. you don't need to know. It's not the point. The point is that you, you you're wondering. Even at the yeah. end, yeah. it's like, am I, you know, am I here with it or am I with my, my coworker? Right. Don't yeah. know. Let's just sit and a while think, and see what I happens. I think that question a lot, actually. I think that question a lot. <laughs> am I here with my coworker? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Often and the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Yeah. So um, before we move on into big trouble, this is not a, a, a big profound moment. I just want to give a shout out. Uh, he was on our patron segment, uh, Drew Passanon. Uh, I had a conversation with him on his show, Horror Sci-Fi and Beyond, and I uh, want to give credit where credit is due. He also raised the question about that throwaway line on the thing, and it was, yeah, I think he, it, it, it stuck in my imagination. So I just want to give a shout out to him and, and thank you both for exploring that that moment and, and for talking a little bit more about the thing, because I just, uh, yeah, it was it was wonderful revisiting it. But my um, last note, real quick. Last note, real quick. Yeah. Matt, you mentioned the noose being a, a funny bit of comedy, uh, soaking myself in the the carpenter uh, oeuvre as I have. Um, I'm much more on the wavelength of of what is clearly some humorous elements. Uh, one, I want to mention something from Escape from New York, but in this, there's a great. I don't. Again, I wasn't taking notes, so I didn't write it down. But there's a great moment where Palmer is walking out of a room to go do a thing. And he doubles back and whatever the actor says is the line. It just struck me as so funny because it's, it's, but this is what I'm talking about. There are very human bits of comedy in here, how people might actually kind of engage with each other. Yeah, but you know, it's not forced humor. It's just, yes, the, the, yes. The, the, it's just kind of natural. Literally gallows humor in that instance, I guess you could say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I forgot to mention it, but I think I loved an escape from New York and then we'll go wherever the two of you want to go. I love. I love that I must believe or want to choose to believe has to just be a bit of comedy is how everyone says, I thought you were dead. Oh, like, sure. I, I love, I love, cause it happens once and I didn't think much about it. It happened again. I was like, uh, are we, are we doing this? <laughs> and then it's at least once more, probably two or three more times. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, golf clap, Mr. Car- That's <laughs> love it. Love it. Anyway, sorry. Continue on. So, um, 
we, we've talked a little bit about Escape from New York. We've given a lot of love to the thing. Uh, let's let's get into some big trouble if we can. Um, Where? And so, <laughs> uh, well, maybe in maybe in you know Little China. Uh, the, you know that that's that's the place where all the things are happening. Sure, um, <laughs> all of the things. So, Matt, I'm going to start with you. Um, that you said you think that big there's a case to be made, and I want to hear you make that case. A big trouble in Little China might be Carpenter's best uh, overall piece. So you're not, you know, don't feel like you're going to receive a ton of criticism from me. But I am very curious <laughs> to hear why, you, why, why, uh, why does that film really sort of push all the buttons for you in that? In I that mean, world? it may just be that it, it just it's just really in my particular wheelhouse. I just love mm. the the you know the the tone of it, which in some ways is very unusual for him. It is, and we'll get more into this in theme that this is a this is a much more optimistic and hopeful vision of you know life and particularly of america than i think he usually does and it's it 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 does not surprise me that he did not write the screenplay but Mm -hmm. unlike some other films he did where he didn't write the screenplay i think he commits to this completely and makes it work and like he he gets what he's doing and he does it really well and yes um, yes so it and but it is it is a really it is interesting that it is this movie that i think a lot of a lot of people had trouble with because big trouble i, I kind of grip it with another movie um uh Verhoeven starship troopers that oh, i think yeah, a lot yeah. i think a lot of the initial audience didn't understand what he was doing and that was part of the problem was that you know mm-hmm. he's, he's adapting this in that one he's adapting this very pro-militaristic heinlein novel and the problem is that Verhoeven is a Dutchman who was born in 1938, grew up in occupied Germany, and his house was like just, you know, a couple blocks away from a V2 rocket launch site. So in addition to dealing mm-hmm. with Nazis every day, the neighborhood would get bombed routinely by the Allies. So, and his parents yeah. were nearly killed. So he had a very different idea about military society than, than Heinlein did. So he makes this, this satire. And the, the, the best description I have ever heard of that movie is that, that Starship Troopers is the movie Star Wars would have been if the Germans had won. And Mm. yeah, Mm. and it's, it's, so it's, it's, it's great for what it is, but a lot of people didn't, you know, if you, if you went to it hoping for a faithful adaptation of Heinlein's vision, or if you just wanted to see a typical, you know, a sci-fi action adventure, you're going to be either really mad or just really confused. And yeah, right. I I think Big Trouble in Little China kind of has that same deal because, and, I, I mentioned uh, Red Letter Media's. They did their own little rundown of the listicle. One of the things they mentioned when they were talking about uh, of, of uh, Big Trouble in Little China is that Jack Burton is a sidekick who thinks he's a hero. And this, you know, this is an observation <laughs> that other people have made too. But maybe another way to put that is he's a he's a protagonist who's wandered into somebody else's story. Ah, that, uh, I love it. Yeah. The, the, the real story in the film is about this, you know, this millennia long battle between good and evil in Chinese society. And you've got the, the, the evil Lopan and then the, the, the good peasant magic as represented by Egg Shen, played by uh, Victor Wong. And then Dennis Dunn having, I think, one of the, the best times in his career, probably playing oh, Wang man. as the, you know, he's the heroic. He's a heroic peasant working class guy going to save his girl and got to go beat the evil guy. And then you've got this, this goodwill trucker who just kind of wanders into the story and no idea what really what's going on. His heart is in the right place, but yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I just, I, I think that's part of it. I just, I just love the cross cultural 
thing like that 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 they do do it so well and with such heart and it it's just incredibly yeah. funny and and I love it so um yeah so yeah that that is why for me I mean again it's it's the only thing that would keep me from saying it you know it's definitely number one is again it's it's it is really uncharacteristic tonally for Carpenter and it's not sure it's not really sure. a horror movie yeah um, yes more more fantasy elements with some 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 you know that some trade. Mo- trademark horrific moments but mm-hmm. it's not the type of thing that's going to you know give people nightmares or, or you know anything like that but even um, the stuff that you could point to like the the big bug that grabs the one guy you know that's <laughs> not it's not so much scary as just sort of a it, it's like not a jump scare moment it's more like what it's a, it's another reason for for jack burton to go what was that I mean, what's going on <laughs> right <laughs> yeah yeah so. um Nathan, jump in here. What you got? Sure. So, uh, <laughs> oh, big trouble in Little China. So, back <laughs> following our first Carpenter run, I don't remember mm-hmm. why I felt compelled to do this at the time, other than just, oh, I'll watch something else, Carpenter. I watched this right after that, and I was mm-hmm. like, <laughs> what? Am I watching? You know, I could not get my bearings on the tone, which is so wackadoo. And so this time, yeah, the thing was the most recent watch. I watched Escape from New York first, I think. Mm. And um, then Big Trouble, then the thing. And perhaps again, my... You know, the record has stopped skipping for me on my John Carpenter comprehension level. And I just bought the charm in a way that I didn't get the charm, uh, didn't understand what I was kind of watching. And, you know, to your point, Matt, framing it, because because what stuck out, what stuck out to me on this viewing and what helped me encapsulate and understand and I, I wrote this down i was like you know what the elevator pitch for big trouble in little china is it is a guy loses his truck and wants it back like that's <laughs> like and once you do that there's your comedy which is is oh my god the links he has to go through to do to, to a com- it's it's peewee and his bike on a certain level and mm. um the oh, links wow. that's the, a great connection yeah the links mm-hmm. he has to go to in order to accomplish this very simple task he is he is a uh, he is a reasonable man in unreasonable circumstances. <laughs> he is a simple man with simple intention and that's mm-hmm. where the comedy arises is is he just kind of keeps bumbling into these things and and so matt to your point is the character who the the good natured character who wanders into uh to to coin a fog cannon quip here not your story like it's just not his and there's something really charming almost lovely about that conceit that i just didn't understand the first time because i'm thinking oh kurt russell send up okay you know okay i don't even know it wasn't that i thought oh they're lampooning kurt russell they're not allowed to do that that wasn't it at all it was just i don't if I'm perfectly frank, I, I couldn't tell, am I, is this appropriate? You know, like I just didn't know what I was (laughs) dealing with, uh, in terms of the content Mm -hmm. of it. Now, Reed, you will love this because of how much, uh, this has come up on our show. 
I did see this on IMDb, their, their trivia. Did you catch that the three spirits are what inspired Raiden and Lopan is what inspired Shang Tsung from I, Mortal Kombat? I wish I could I wish I could show you this right now because I didn't Listeners, see it. Listeners, you didn't this, see this, the sheer elation Reed just exhibited in his physical so, self just now. Okay, so because it, it must be known, I did not know that. So it must be known, I did not know that. My very first note here said, wow, this feels like Mortal Kombat before Mortal Kombat. That's and my yes, very first yes. note on my phone. <laughs> wow. so and I did not know that trivia bit. That's hysterical because when he, yeah, because like Raiden is popping up and down, yeah. like oh, up yeah. in there. It looks so much like Raiden with the lightning and yeah. everything. I was like, oh my gosh, that's so great. And this was my first viewing of it where that really registered for me. Sure. It is literally the very first note on my phone. That is so great. That's funny. That is so, so yeah, awesome. I, I found myself just completely won over this time around. Like this is just. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm a hell of a lot of fun and i'm thoroughly enjoying myself in it yeah i god i love this film i mean even though i cited escape from new york is slightly higher i mean i did put this like in the top four like one you know one of the four greatest films that you could watch of john carpenter's entire catalog i think uh one of the things i love so i I don't want to forget this matt you mentioned kind of in passing uh just just threw this word in here i think this film has a lot of heart which is really surprising that is uncharacteristic for him but like but the, the film really does have a lot of heart I love this stood out to me so much. I just love Jack Burton as a character. Like that I I read it somewhere and I think it was something from an interview with Kurt Russell and I can't remember where I read it. But it said Kurt Russell said of Jack Burton, he's as likely to save the day as he is to fall on his face. And I saw that throughout the entirety of the movie that sometimes he is very much like it, yeah, he took the shot. He won the moment and then Right before the big battle, the big thing falls on his head. And he <laughs> yeah, just yeah. plops over for all of it. You know, it's so great. It's so great. Um, I just love the character so much. I find the character in in a remarkably absurd film. I find the character of Jack Burton to be remarkably believable. Like yeah. it's like as an everyman who in that situation. That's one of the things that I will say. I completely one hundred percent believe that John McClane in Nakatomi Plaza can do what he does. But in most action films, I'm like, I don't, I don't buy that the guy could do everything that they can do, you know? And oddly enough, that was one of the things that stood out to me about watching big trouble is like, if you can buy the, all of the magic that the literal magic and everything that's going on, Jack Burton navigating through it. I believe everything would happen. Kurt Russell just has the physique He's got the persona. I think he would be able to do all the things that they're doing. And I just, I just love it. I love the character and singing the praises of Kurt Russell. Maybe not for the last time, but 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 getting kind of in a formal way. You look at these three characters we're talking about: Snake Plissken, R.J. McCready, Jack Burton. Such range. I mean, yeah. I know Kurt Russell's like a legend, but like, look at those three characters, and holy cow, they're completely different approaches, completely different tones. They're they're well, what I found wonderful. really really maybe this is just me this is my viewing this time of big trouble but what i found fascinating about his performance in this y'all might disagree and that's okay it's more just impression but it doesn't feel like the movie is that winky like Mm -hmm. there are moments clearly the the thing falling on his head knocking him out that are absurd for sure but I think about like an Austin Powers, which I find or found at least in 1997 because I saw it seven times in the theater, hysterical. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. Austin Powers comedically winks at you big time. 
Like, it's like, guess <laughs> what? We're making jokes. <laughs> this, to me, yeah. doesn't quite have that energy. And in fact, if anything, what I wrote down is a lot of what's fun to me about this is character driven. Like, it is just mm-hmm. they're they're, you know, broadly drawn on a certain level, but it is. The, the events unfold because characters make choices, not because they're like, look at us doing the thing. Um, I don't know <laughs> well, if that no, that's, and that's, that's kind of why it works. Yeah. I think is that it, it, it is very matter of fact about the stuff that's insane. I mean, that, that, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. part of Burton's function there is to serve as a, a surrogate for the audience sure. to just keep asking the question, what, what, what? Right. Wait, what yeah. just happened? Right. What? <laughs> but so in that sense, it does. But even there, he's not talking to you. He's talking to. Yes. He's talking for you to the other, the rest of the cast. And mm-hmm. yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't need to lampshade the fact that it's being funny. It just trusts you to get it. It trusts its ideal yeah. audience to get what it's doing. And it's like I don't have to tell you that you know this is crazy. Right. This is where I think a lot of storytellers tend to go wrong. They feel like they have to just you know make sure you understand. I'm about to do something now that is made beggar belief. And it's like no, don't. <laughs> Don't yeah. say that. Just do it as if it's natural and normal, right? And it'll work. Yeah, it's it's yeah. when you it's when you do it overstated and, and draw a big line under it that you just that's when you run into trouble. <laughs> and that's what this does so well. It's like no, nope, you know, we're just gonna yeah, it, it's great. And it is is there a more perfect and and maybe maybe this will segue us? Is there Nathan cited it earlier? But is there a more perfect line of dialogue? Oh my god! Than Jack it's, Burton's. I'm a reasonable guy, but I've just experienced some very unreasonable things. <laughs> just like as, as a line of dialogue, that might be one of my favorite lines ever. Well, that is just I, it is so wonderful. You wanted to part ways with this reading. I'm not going to let us yet. I I, I just want to sing Kurt Russell's praises because I entered this <laughs> trio of films this week with affection for the guy i'd seen the thing you know but but it wasn't if i can say it this way it wasn't like wow i am actually i think i've missed out on how much Mm -hmm. i now appreciate what he was doing and Mm -hmm. kind of writ large as a performer um and you know reed i was texting you today and and we'll kind of throw this canonize it here like he sells this movie like his ability to serve what's going on is what is the connective tissue to get you to the end like i think about matt not sure how you feel about this filmmaker but i have had a hard time over the years enjoying though i respect enjoying the works of sam raimi um and I cited when we covered um, drag me to hell that for me, the casting of that lead didn't work for me because I didn't, I don't think she knew what she was in. And I think Mm -hmm. about someone like a Bruce Campbell as Ash Williams and made to read this comparison of, of Jack Burton, Kurt Russell, Bruce Campbell, Ash Williams, like Kurt Russell just knows he knows what he's in right and he serves it he doesn't try to overcome it he doesn't try to fight against it he's like this is the the wavelength and the notes and i'm gonna kind of serve it which is what at its the the things i like of ramey's sort of catalog and history when when i like ramey's stuff it's often circling around bruce campbell because he just knows what he's in he knows what he's doing <laughs> yeah. and i will applaud you reed and offer it because it's the thing you said you said 
uh, and I don't have the text in front of me, so you can rearticulate it in the way you actually said it. But you said Campbell and Russell get the assignment in Campbell's case, sometimes even when Ramey might not. And I just really mm-hmm. loved that articulation because I feel like I feel like Big Trouble in Little China to me was illustrative of that point. This is the two of these guys just operating on a level. It's a it's a wacky ass level, but they know mm-hmm. what they're doing and they're kind of creating this really malformed uh, uh, but wild looking uh, kind of concert between the two of them. And I just I don't know. I was really impressed with this movie this time. That's awesome. No that that makes me feel that makes me feel very very happy that you love this film because I remember. I came into when fog started. I was very intentional that I was like, you know what? We're going to have a couple of lead ins to just sort of dust ourselves off. And then we're going to do a big sweep of some John Carpenter films. And I was like, man, this is perfect. This is wonderful. And it wasn't as if like, you know, it was a big, you know, grief all these years or anything, but I knew (laughs) that it just, John Carpenter didn't quite click for you the way that he always had for me. And and so even coming into this Carpenter Redux series, I've been like, okay, yeah, it'll be really, really fun to revisit this. But it has been really uh, a, a joy and a delight for me to watch your growing appreciation for him unfold. And in, in especially in revisiting films that I remember your somewhat, you know, uh, tepid response before now being like, no, I, I, I really, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm on the train now. And that just, that just feels really good. And, and oh, go ahead. I was going to lead into a, a segment here. Do you, do you want me to Let's do that? Let's do it. So, that's that's so all I was going to do. Big Trouble in Little China feels like it invites not just an ain't, but a so. So this, <laughs> friends and foggers, is the part of the show where we assess things that are not just the opposite of wrong, but of which might be said, that's so right. That's so right. It's just so right. It's just so right. That's just so friends matt and reed uh uh, matt you're our guest you're gonna go first i've got this laundry list here i'll work hard to whittle it down here like uh, matt to peek behind the curtain here the the longer this runtime went for me of this viewing a big trouble i texted reed i was like listen we have to do it that's so right uh it's just there's too much just lovely good-natured well-delivered comedy in this to ignore uh, and leave it on the table. So I will use that as our preface, Matt, feel free, uh, cite a major, maybe your primary major, and then we'll kind of do a couple round robins here. Well, I mean, I'm I'm glad you did that too, because this is definitely, there there really isn't anything in the ain't right category for me on Mm. this one (laughs) that, I mean, there's nothing that, you know, it'd be like stuff like, well, you know, it's a little, I get a little nervous when people like, are doing martial arts and their, their limbs get bent the wrong way and broken because I just think about <laughs> yeah. the, you know, but that's, that's about all I could get for stuff that squicks me out. Um, I, I mean, the, I think the, the big, the big so right for me with this is that it is a, it is a send up and, you know, but, but it's not mean spirited that mm-hmm. it's, it's, Burton is, you know, his, his, the fact that he's a fish out of water, he has no idea what's going on is a constant source of comedy, but he's not the butt of the joke. Yeah. Um, he's, he is, uh, you know, he's got a good heart and the movie 
the movie believes in him. The movie, mm. the movie does not undercut that in any way. It's like his reactions. There's that, that the, the line that I, oh, I always remember is when right after, um, Wang's, you know, fiance slash girlfriend has been grabbed at the airport and they're in the parking lot and the, the bad guys are driving away and they're in the way and, and they're standing there. It looks like they're about to get run over. And at the last minute, Jack Burton pushes Wang out of the way and they, they land and they stand up. And then the first words out of her mouth are, is, you know, son of a bitch must pay. And it's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, there's no question. It's not my girlfriend has been snatched, but I am going to help you get her back, even though I have no idea what's going on. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. And this is true of the of the two other white characters as well. You've got you've got Kim Cattrall as Gracie Law, who's teleported in from a, a 1940s screwball comedy. <laughs> and you know what's she doing here? I don't know, but the the film loves her too, and she's trying her best. And then you've got um, a very young Kate Burton as Margot the the crusading reporter actually <laughs> thinks that she's going to break the big story and make the world better by doing that. And it's like a reporter is useless in this situation, but what the heck she's got a heart too. And we're going to, you know, we're going to root for her as well. Um, and there's, you know, there is a version of this movie that somebody could do where this, this was this, you know, unwanted white interloper in the, this story that he's got nothing to do with, or that could be more mean spirited about it. And, that would be a much less interesting movie for me. So that's what I loved. And and I just want to reference two scenes in the film that kind of bookend each other neatly that I think kind of capture this. And one is right in the beginning at the end of the night of gambling. It's right after the, you know, the, the, the opening credits. And then he, he delivers this load of pigs and then he sits down and plays, I guess it's Fantan they're playing at this table or, or mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and he gets lucky and he wins all the money and, Wang is in a bad mood because he needs that money for this, this upcoming, you know, his fiance is coming and he wants to have some cash and he loses his temper. And, you know, and Jack Burton's, Kurt Russell's response to that is like, you know, come on, Wang, you know, it's like, are we going to have a problem now? And, and the line is, you know, because what I thought we were racial differences, notwithstanding is just a couple of old friends, both Californians. Hmm. And, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like we're we're from different worlds, but it doesn't matter. This is this is America, and we're we're friends, and that's what counts. Huh. And and then there's a moment towards the end of the film, right before they're about to do the climactic assault on on um, uh, you know the the Lopan, and uh, they're they're drinking the magic potion that's going to allow them to do whatever they want, and you know mm-hmm. to, to do amazing things. And they they do this toast, and this time it's it's Wang who begins it, and it's this very patriotic. Um, <laughs> you know, here's the army and navy and the battles they've won. Here's to America, whose colors never run. And then you know Burton looks him in the eye and he says, "Yeah, you know, may the wings of liberty never lose a feather." And that's like the a callback to that earlier moment. He's like, "Yeah." Hmm. We're, mm-hmm. we're both Americans and it, you know, our differences don't matter. And now he's, they're both on board with that. Now let's go do what's right. And, and, you know, and then they go. And then, yes, of course, the first thing that happens is that, that Burton gets a little too excited and <laughs> fires his gun into the ceiling, knocks himself out. And so he's unconscious for much of the battle. And it's really because the real hero is Wang and it's Wang's job mm-hmm. to fight. And, and Burton will get his moment. He gets to kill Lopan, but really that, that is like, that is that moment when they're just like, yeah, this is so hopeful and so happy and, and mm-hmm. just the, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, it's very, it, it, 
it's very endearing, and I, I think the film largely lacks cynicism, which again, yes. well, but you know what's what's interesting is I don't cons- I consider Carpenter to be a very often bleak filmmaker, but here the nuance that I say this, and then I'll go into my that so right is um, he's not a cynical filmmaker. I don't think I don't think any of his films are cynical. They are often very bleak. But even a film like The Thing, as grim as it is, I don't consider that to be cynical because I think cynicism would have viewed it all as dreadfully inevitable, whereas you really feel all of the tension mm-hmm. and pressure against that. And then you, you, you turn that over into Big Trouble in Little China, and everybody is just so darn plucky in this movie. Even Lo Pan, which <laughs> he's, yeah. he's, he's funny. He's charming on screen. You know, like it's just, it's really, it's really quite interesting. Um, I'm going to cite a, a less profound moment for That's So Right, because I just, whenever I think of this movie, this is a scene I think of. It fills my heart with uproarious delight. When I watched it this time around, I rewound it no less than three times to watch this moment again. <laughs> and and it is it is the moment. I don't even know how they pulled it off, like, stunt-wise. I'm sure they had, like, some, some securing uh, anchors on it or something like that. But when... Kurt Russell in the wheelchair is moving down <laughs> the ramp backwards. Oh, yeah. And he's his facial expression, he is full board just like getting oh, yeah. so into it as a performer and he's just wildly flailing at the wall, slack jawed, wide open screaming as he's, he's moving all the way down and then he almost falls in the well and everything. It's just that moment, that whole descent backwards in the wheelchair down is one of the finest bits of comedic, you know, slapstick that I've seen in any film. I love it. I wonder I about that so every much. time I see it. And I'm guessing what they probably do there is it's probably a level surface and the camera is angled and they're probably pulling him. Mm. Yes, something like that. Because there's no other way does... you could do that without putting him in per- mortal peril. Although, <laughs> then again... Well, to your point, I'll... though, Matt, I actually, what, what reading I did do uh, about, you know, trivia, IMDb, that kind of thing, Carpenter has been quoted as the number of like, basically he pulled out all of the, the tricks he knew from a, from a crafting standpoint, from a set standpoint, like upside down sets, this lots of different mm-hmm. things. So to your point, there was probably uh, just some, some expert trickery there to kind of hide the seams. Um, it's awesome. Now, I, I, I love that. I, this is not a, that's all right, but Matt, you've got my brain going and, and, on a certain level, my spirit starts to want to catch up. And like, it's so funny. You, you identified because, you know, I'm a guy who is probably more like Jack Burton than I care to admit, as I try (laughs) to sort of lovingly engage the world around me. And it's funny because like I said, when I first watched this five years ago, I was like, is this, I don't, I, I don't know enough to know, is this okay? Like, which you know, mm. a, a listener might accuse me of being overly sensitive perhaps, but it's just a desire. Like I didn't know enough about John Carpenter. I didn't know enough about this film. I didn't know enough about what they were trying to do to know, is this jokey? Who's who, who are we laughing at here? And again, you know, this, this review uh, has retrained me on some of that, but I love this idea. Love, love, love. And Reed, you, your cynicism that made me think of this too is I think you're absolutely right. There's not a hint of cynicism here. And what's fascinating is as I'm kind of viewing this total picture of, of, of Carpenter, the creator, 
this recurring theme of individual versus institution and how that can be crushing, you know, that the, the individual is always going to be threatened to be crushed by the institution. What is fascinating about this is individual partnering with culture, right? It's, it's, there's a difference Mm -hmm. between institution and culture, which is to say, this is a thing. This is a world that you're not going to understand. You don't understand. You're not a part of it. Doesn't mean you can't Mm -hmm. be an ally, assist, be a part, engage, be a friend, and I just really love that highlighting that's that's coming out as the two of you were talking is like there's never an attempt to shut him out. Yes. It's like yeah. you're, you're not going to yeah. get all of this. We can try to explain it to you. We're not even sure what we believe ourselves. But mm-hmm. the the goal is unity, not yes. segmentation. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I you know and the, I mean there there are, you know, I, I think about this like in the context of Lovecraft Country, there or I'm writing from the point of view of black characters living in the Jim Crow era, that's a little different. I I try not to do the thing where you, you know, you you go out of your way to bash all white people, but it's just if if you're living in a segregated society, it's just your sure your, your attention is going to be focused yeah. primarily on people who really have it in for you and then those few blessed souls who are willing to put their own lives on the line to make your life better. And then there's the the third category of people who just, they may not, you know, be happy about what's done to you, but they're not doing anything to make your life better. And those are not the people you talk about. You focus on the yeah. threats and the, yeah. and the, and the friends. And right. so, and I think a lot of stories get that wrong and try to cast everybody as an enemy or, you know, and, and that's something you don't have the luxury to engage in when you're actually trying to survive. And it, mm. it's also mm. not an ideal to aspire to. I think the ideal is ultimately to get to a place where, we don't have to all like each other, but at least we all try to work together. And that's what I yeah. love about, about this movie is that it, it, it does sort of, you know, just take that as the natural state of, you know, like Jack, you know, I'm glad you want to help and we'll, we'll try to, you know, keep you oriented enough that you can actually do some good here. Well, it reminds <laughs> me a lot of our conversations on Ted Lasso and I can't, I'm going to butcher this, this phrasing, but, um, uh, the notion of ignorant, but curious like having a character Mm. who is what you don't want is a character who is ignorant but um certain right who is uh uh, Mm. sure of self Mm -hmm. and so what's actually interesting is ignorant but curious and that jack burton definitely illustrates to actually get to um at least one of my that it writes here or that so writes here because i do have a plethora of pinatas is um <laughs> i just love i just love i love just well couched well designed well delivered bits of of verbal comedy and I remember what, what, even though I would say tonally, I didn't understand what I was, the waters I was wading in, uh, the first time I watched this, one of the most well-delivered bits in it that did represent itself to me this time around is, is, is when they're, when they're escaping and they're underwater and Gracie, it's the, it's the trio of where's, 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 where's Margo. It's not Margo. Where's Eddie. It's not Eddie. Where's Jack. Um, it's not Jack, Jack surfaces. And he just like for a movie that actually subverts the sort of ingenue sort of hero romantic coupling, uh, idea, he kisses her rather unexpectedly. And I think she says, Hey, but then he goes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just so thrilled to be alive. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it is just such a great bit that again, kind of 
threading this needle of like the movie isn't interested uh the characters in it which because this is what we're trained to be is interested in them as romantic item the movie is kind of more <laughs> interested what what happened if that's not kind of the the destiny as it were for these yeah. characters i just really love that um well, and again, because it's sort of played a screwball comedy, it does not come off as offensive in the way it, it could if it was handled yeah. differently. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. just like, you know, she's like, hey. It's, it's, <laughs> it's very much, yeah, it's sort of a 40s aesthetic. It's like, you know, he's, he's not being, he's not assaulting her. He's sure. Just, yeah, he's yeah. It's like, yeah, you're, you're jumping ahead to the part where maybe I would let you kiss me. You know? Right, like, right. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just so thrilled to be alive. It's just great. <laughs> yeah. Great, great, great. And uh, another little uh, uh, script note, and then I've got one more major I'd love to note, but we can do what we want to do is, and it's already been alluded to even um, metaphorically (laughs) Wang at one point, he says, I don't want to insult you, Jack and Jack Burton, Kurt Russell, God love him. No, 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 go ahead. Insult me. You know, like he is like, (laughs) no, please. I don't understand anything. Like, please tell me what I need to know to get me through the next steps. Like it is just such a great bit. Uh, Just no, go ahead. Insult me. (laughs) It's God. It's, it's so wonderful. It's so wonderful. Well, um, so I, I have, Two more brief things I'd like to mention, neither of them in profound detail. Uh, and then, Matt, if you have anything else, and, and if not, we'll move on to the next segment. Um, so we're talking about the subversion to the screwball comedy thing. I've loved it from the very first viewing because it was so different, and I thought it was so great uh, that he won't kiss her goodbye at the end. I think yeah, I think it's so it's great. great. Like, yeah. it's, it's a really nice moment because it's not an insult. It's like a really organic you know, next step for those characters. I just, I just love it so much that, and she's, she even calls it out. You're not going to kiss her goodbye. He looks at her and he's not looking at her like derisively, but he looks at her and like, they know they're exchanging something. And, and he's like, Nope, I just, Oh man, it's, it's a wonderful moment. It's just a wonderful moment. Um, the other thing, pure silly is, Oh my God. When they show up at the, um, God, I don't even know the name of the place where they're at, but the where they're looking for the girl with green eyes at first. And <laughs> he's like, I forget what uh, Wang says. He's like, no, no, no. He's He knows what he's doing. And Jack Burton's disguise is <laughs> revealed, and he's just this nerdy, like, straight-haired. He's got the glasses yeah. on. And he is as plucky as any human being can be in them. It's, it's, oh, God, it is so, so wonderful. He is... Kurt Russell just understands this assignment, man. Like he just, he loves it so much. So, so much. Um, that was, that were the major things that I had, uh, cited before we exit the segment, Matt, did you have anything else you wanted to toss in, in the, in the, so right category? I, I could, you know, I could go on little detail stuff for hours, but I think that the big thing for me is just, it's just so, it's just so warm. And so if (laughs) everybody has a part in this and it's the, yeah, I, I just loved it. Yeah. Well, no, I, absolutely. We don't have to do that, right? But I, I do want to, because, you know, <laughs> clearly I, I got to throw this one out because as much as I'm telling, I said five minutes ago, 10 minutes ago, hours ago, that this movie doesn't wink at you. The moment that I'm going to say, uh, you know, kind of uh, pulls the rug out from under that statement is, and I love it. I love it. I don't care, but it just struck me as hysterical, even more so this time around. <laughs> is at the end when <laughs> Jack pulls the knife out and he throws it at Lopan. It totally misses and rings this gong in the back. 
And then Lopan <laughs> picks it up, throws it back at him. He catches it. It's like, <laughs> right. Yeah. And then he throws it back and it lands, sinks deep right into his forehead. I, I, just, <laughs> right. I was like this because the brilliance isn't that Jack finally delivers. The brilliance is the building action. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. if he had just landed it the first time, it doesn't work. It doesn't land. There's yeah, there's no. no there's no comedy there. There's no it's not even that heroic. It's just like, oh, well, he's the bad guy. So we're supposed to dispatch the bad guy. It is that back and forth kind of three stooges level uh, uh, physicality mm-hmm. that just God, that's hysterical to me. But it also um, like, kill him, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it also this is what's so great about it. It is a, a setup and payoff in the movie because when they're doing the slice the bottle thing, yeah. and 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 the bottle flies at him and he catches it, mm. which is pretty you know that's an unrealistic moment. He catches that, yeah. it and he says and he says it's all in the reflexes and that's exactly that's what awesome. he says. Good job, Reed Lokan, And then and then he throws it back at him and it was because he was making a reflex action, which in the persona of this character that lands like he yeah. can't yeah. hit it. He's the good first at that. Time. But it's That's but it's awesome. all in the reflexes. Now I just love it even and more. It's, yeah, it's just it's it's wonderful. Well, honestly, I you know Matt kind of already alluded to the fact of like not a whole lot of that ain't right. And and even like here's the thing: I could cite all the monstrous creatures in there, but I'm not even going to cite them as that ain't right because I love looking at them. They're funny. Yeah. <laughs> they are. They're great to look. Like it's just they're fun to look at. The, <laughs> One thing I have to mention, call it so right, call it ain't right, call it whatever, is when the henchman see, sees that Lopan is dead and the oh. grief that <laughs> strikes his face. And just already, this this poor yeah. man has been so committed to Lopan to everything. So what is the only <laughs> reasonable thing he can do in this moment is grieve yeah. himself so much that he literally explodes. He just inflates up and his eyes oh. pop out and every, he just literally blows up in front of them. And I didn't know honestly whether to put that in ain't right or so right because I'm like I I that moment could only exist in a film like Big Trouble in Little China and 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 work you know like any other film it's just too far it's just too much but it's wonderful. Well, you it's you wonderful. just reference them, so I'll throw out what the only thing I was going to have on ain't right is the Beast Man is what I called him, only because <laughs> when I originally watched this movie, you know, again tonal tonal like what am I watching? Oh my gosh, this is crazy! Oh mysticism and I do you know what's going. On? And now there's a beast man. I, you know, it was such a just like record skip to to use that metaphor again. But oh, oh, oh my it's god! Fun. Well, I mean, that the has been monster. what? Oh, the mad ball, the little yeah. eye monster. Oh my god, it's great. Sorry, yes, yeah. you're trying to. That's close all right. That has been ain't so all the rights. That's just so right. So. So kind of kind of in our way, you know, we've talked for a long time and 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 listeners are probably hearing this as like part two of a conversation and everything. Um but uh you know, I wanna kind of looking at Big Trouble in Little China and Escape from New York almost as a piece, kind of get into some some maybe deeper waters. And we've already touched on quite a lot of things, but the, one of the things, Nathan, that you have continually refrained in this Carpenter Redux series is how thoughtful a filmmaker that John Carpenter is. Like I think a lot of it, from what I understand, he would probably cite as instinctual. Like he just, he goes on instinct and this is kind of what works for, for what he's after or for what he's chasing. Um, but I do think just inherently the guy clearly has 
a profound amount of empathy because you cannot make the films that he's made if you don't carry with you a lot of empathy. And then you hear him in interviews and stuff, and he's very much the the, the textbook definition of a grumpy old man. And that's by his own sighting. Like, I'll never forget an interview began for some podcast thing or something, and they, and, and they started by saying, oh, yeah, we just, we had Jamie Lee Curtis on earlier, and she was so nice, and she was so friendly, and she was so so warm and everything. And John Carpenter, without a laugh or a wink, says, oh, I'm not. <laughs> And then, like, yeah. that's, and, and and that's and and that was kind of the end of it. Um, but I do consider him to be, despite the the, the bleakness, I consider him to be kind of a, a a very uncynical and a very. I love your choice of the word "warm." There, Matt. Uh, he's a warm filmmaker. Yeah. What What do you think, Matt? Well, I got to say that the contrasting these two films, what does strike me is like you you say you don't see him as cynical. Well, I I have to say. Escape from New York, I, I actually mm, think is a very mm, sure. cynical yeah. movie, particularly the mm, ending. Fair. And and mm-hmm. because okay, yes, the 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 president is an, an idiot and and you know d- right. totally that's undeserving fair. of salvation, but that's still not a reason to burn down the world. It works. <laughs> right. It works as as a move in a movie, but it is kind mm-hmm. of a you know that moment, that perfect ending where yeah he. You ask the president the question and you know, part of what he's doing, you find out later is like, do I tell him I gave him the wrong tape? And it's like, nope, wrong answer. I'm not going to tell you. And then he walks off right. and there's a great last encounter with Lee Van Cleef where he's been yanking his leash the whole time. And now that he's delivered, he's like, you know, I've got another uh, job offer for you. And, and, mm-hmm. and there's also that line, like, can you kill me now, snake? And he's like, ah, I'm too tired. Maybe later. And then he makes the job offer and, he just looks at him with this disgust. It's like, as you, as you, as if you think I would trust you after all this. Right. And then the last right. scene where he just walks off and he's got the real tape and he's yanking it and, and, you know, throwing it away. And, mm, mm. and that moment, I, there's a part of me wanted to ask, you know, do you think that is that the moment that, that, you know, John Carpenter is channeling his feelings about the Hollywood studio system? Mm. Because that, that is, mm. that is just sort of like, I'm just going to burn it all down now. And, Mm, mm. And it's, it's, it's kind of neat to bookend that. I mean, it, again, it works totally in the context of that film and I don't have a problem with it, but sure, I, I definitely sure. do see it as very, very cynical. That's um, fair. That's a, that's a fair pushback. And, and yeah, no, I, I, I would have to agree. But to, but you can, but you're right though. Like the thing is not that way at all. And mm-hmm. then, um, and then what I love about bookending this with, with Big Trouble in Little China is Big Trouble in China is like the, the opposite pole entirely where it, mm. It issues that there are there are plenty of people who would do cynical takes on this, and and the film just refuses to go there. It's like no, mm-hmm. that that we really are all meant to work together, and it you know if he if he needs to have stuff explained to him, you, you explain it to him, and it pays off in the end because he is actually the guy who gets the the real bad guy, you know, as much by luck as anything else. But he's there, he shows up, and that one moment he he actually does something right that that. Mm-hmm. You know, ends it all so yeah um so that that like contrasting those two films but again he didn't write big trouble in little china but he committed to it so he he clearly didn't hate that it's like a director who didn't want to tell that story could easily have sabotaged it Mm -hmm. and i Mm -hmm. i I really that's why i really wish that you know if that movie had hit big and and had given him more opportunities I, i would love to see where his career might have gone but obviously that that is part of what he was not rewarded for himself for for you know embracing the hopeful message in that so right. which is too bad 
Well, and um, not for nothing, Big Trouble in Little China follows Starman. Like that's mm. the that's the parent and in his chronology. Yeah. He he made Starman and then he made Big Trouble, which for those pair of films is is a remarkably, you know, uh I'll call it uplifting, you know, sort mm-hmm. of uh perspective on things. Um both otherworldly and it, it's almost like the contrast to Prince of Darkness and the Thing because the the contrast here is like you have and I know we didn't go into a lot of details on Starman and I won't do that now but it's like Starman you have an otherworldly presence that is you know largely benevolent and heals the deer instead of you know infects it in contrast to something like Prince of Darkness and I know Prince of Darkness came later but then you have you know with the thing as we talked about the the dissolving of community and very much the observations we're making about big trouble is is the coming together and the growing of a community mm-hmm. you know yeah they all go their separate ways at the end but they all unite together for you know pr- pretty easy sell for each of them to come together to to join forces in rescuing this this girl and uh and and that is uh an interesting kind of contrasting view it's almost as if uh, I, I've joked before about, and I know we're talking about John Carpenter, but I've joked before about uh, Frank Darabont making the Shawshank Redemption and making The Mist. Wow, and yeah. Both, and both <laughs> films, right. But both films have as their central thesis, don't ever give up hope. Hmm. But there are two ways to tell that story because Shawshank Redemption tells you what happens when somebody never gives up hope and things go well. The mist shows you what happens when you give up hope right before you should have and, right. you know, devastates you at that point. And getting it back into John Carpenter, he has the thing and he has Prince of Darkness, which shows the the apocalypse of, you know, I, Nathan, you made an observation on our Prince of Darkness conversation of, you know, you we're all kind of drawn towards reaching for the mirror. Like if if we're not self-aware, I forget exactly how you phrased it, but like all of us can find ourselves reaching for the mirror. Um, and there's a contrast to that in the big trouble in little China persona specifically of how, yeah, there, there, there is, there are individuals in the world who it's very simple and it's very direct and they, they have a kind of a benevolence to them and they just kind of, see the world a little bit differently and they find a way to come together and, and, and maybe there's a little bit of luck and maybe there's a little bit of magic when that kind of thing happens, which is, which is very encouraging. Um, the other thing that I want to mention kind of going back into, uh, what we've talked about writ large on these stories is, and this is probably more relevant to escape from New York is again, this sort of importance of agency, um, films like The Thing and films like Prince of Darkness, as we've, as we've discussed, and even films like In the Mouth of Madness have features to them where, uh, you know, something takes you over. And when something takes you over, you lose your sense of agency. This is very much in They Live as well with the subliminal messaging. Nathan, I know you haven't seen the film, but it's a big undertone in Village of the Damned as well. It's just like people being compelled to do things that they would not normally do, and they lose their sense of agency. Um, in Escape from New York, it's not that Snake Plissken is taken over, but he's manipulated and coerced into this thing. Like he's put in an impossible situation where he still has to make these choices, and then exerts his agency. Taking your point, Matt, uh, your observations about like 
So he reaches the end and sees the only fair conclusion is then to to burn it down and like, okay, we're just going to demolish everything. Um, and it, it resonates to me, again, contrasting Big Trouble in Little China and Escape from New York about the ways we choose to leverage our own agency, the ways we choose to leverage how we're going to navigate the world, how we're going to move through it. Um, and, and I think there's multiple different potential responses to, you know, unreasonable things, you know, and, and, and are we, are we going to be, uh, you know, are we going to continue to strive for some version of, of reasonableness in the middle of a very, very unreasonable situation, very unreasonable world? Um, or do we, believe that that's just kind of how the world is and therefore see little choice but to to just like okay this world's not worth saving or this this situation is not worth saving and that's a very compelling tension for me it's something that i find um a bit frightening if i'm honest because i see far too many people who are kind of ready at least verbally to sort of let it all go to hell and 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 i think that we are compelled or, or should be compelled to do something more deliberate with our resources, with our time and with our influence to try to um, produce something good, even if it's only in the, in the little nexus that we sit in. Anyway, that's a bevy of different thoughts. I don't know if there's anything noteworthy in that or not, but that's, that's a lot of what these films make me think. Nathan, what you think? I don't know. I think I love that we ended this run I don't know how intentional that was more or less with big trouble, uh, uh, given it's mm. more effervescent tone. And, you know, I think the question of is Carpenter a cynical person is a different question than one film to the next. Does it convey a cynical worldview? And, and, mm. and mm-hmm. I, I do love the idea because read a couple weeks ago, I asked you this, a form of this question that, has sat with me as, as we've continued in the carpenter path here is in the carpenter's path, brothers and (laughs) sisters. Um, um, (laughs) sorry. Uh, uh, is carpenter set against others and other, other horror creator luminaries. And, and to me at least now it's, it's unfair to those others because I've now consumed for me eight of carpenter's works specifically and there's a real diversity of form but some Mm -hmm. pretty interesting overarching threads and that notion of of the individual kind of keeps being this present idea and and to to restate something i said a while back which is simply that several of these films multiples of them is is the the individual trying to stand against institution and institution crushing them you know then mm. new york is the individual uh, um momentary momentarily being forced to work in service of institution and then him you know eradicating it because i don't know if y'all know this i i did a little bit of reading just on new york and specifically it's pretty unanswered what the, the tape is and it was engaging that idea and it was like well what evidence there is suggests this sort of global world war that this was going to be some form of token to 
disarm that or solve that problem. And, mm. and so, yes, I mean, it is kind of cataclysmic, whatever he's sentencing them to. But so, yes, that's a pretty cynical sort of worldview. But when you have the Jack Burton of it all and and what I will always respect a position, a worldview, a perspective that says all this stuff is too big and utterly prone and likely to succumb to corruption. Hmm. Doesn't mean you can't find ways either A, to navigate it, B, to fight it, C, to stand against it, uh, D, to completely operate outside of it. And, Hmm. you know, this is why I'm saying I love that we're kind of resolving with, at least in the arc of this series with Big Trouble in Little China, because something you said a minute ago, Reed, made me think of this, and it may feel like out of left field, and I can understand that if it doesn't lead us anywhere. But um, Matt, I've referenced a number of, time, number of times over the years on the show my love of Brian Stevenson and and the work he does in, in, in Montgomery and through his own activism and, and vocation, career, and life, ultimately. And I read a book, top of this year. I don't have the title of the book in front of me, but I, I screenshotted a passage from it that I've favorited so I can return to it. And it, and it's simply him saying, um, and I'm, I, I want to get it right. So I'm not even going to tr- attempt it, uh, from memory. He says, this is probably not the best way to say it, but you don't have the choice of being hopeless. Mm. And I just, mm. I love and hate that. I was about to say, I love it, but, but part of me definitively hates it too, because that temptation to, to touch the mirror in Prince of Darkness language, that temptation mm-hmm. to annihilate it all in Escape from New York, you know, this, this desire to view the, the monolithic ancient one that we've participated alongside and say, F all of this. We just yeah. don't, it, let me phrase it this way. If we want to maybe even have a life of meaning, but definitely to produce positive in the world, we just don't have the option of, of succumbing to that kind of hopelessness. Um, you know, which, which is not a simple thing. Uh, I don't mean to suggest it is, but, and that's why he's very clear in saying, I'm, this is probably not the best way to say it. You know, he, he articulates mm-hmm. it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I really love that. I love that kind of, Jack Burton inspires that idea. <laughs> Matt, were you going to say something? Well, listen. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm good. You know, and uh, and listen, as Jack Burton says, when you get in moments like this, what the hell? <laughs> like it's and and you know it's like I I, I think there is there is some uh, some wit and witticism in the whole. It's like you know what when whenever somebody asks me if I paid my dues. I say, you know what? The check is in the mail. <laughs> it's just, and uh, no, I've I, got, I do I've feel got to nuance what you said because the quote is: He says, "Do you know what Jack Burton always says in a time like this?" And whoever he's in the scene with says, "Who?" <laughs> he says, "Jack, me." Jack Burton always says, "What the hell?" <laughs> Please carry That's on. Awesome. I'm sorry. Oh no, no, it's great. It's great. Um, I, I and 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 maybe there's not much more um you know thematic exploration and we can kind of move to the fog meter and wind it down but um I'm I'm appreciative of 
these reminders that we've had during this time, just um, also revisiting, you know, just kind of tapping on it with the thing. It has been cathartic in contrasting, you know, not so much Escape from New York, um, but in contrasting something, well, I said that pretty quickly, contrasting the thing and the dissolving of community with Big Trouble in Little China and a community coming together and, yeah. and coming together uncynically to be able to 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 accomplish a particular goal. I uh, uh, stumbled a bit over Escape from New York because to a degree towards the end, even though they're not really what I would call close to a community, the group trying to traverse the bridge are all working together and they they're they're sort of vagabonds that have kind of found each other and and you know it's it's nowhere close to what big trouble in little china offers but that's why i stumbled over saying it wasn't present at all in escape from new york um oh no it is but, because because that's the point is that he he has to care about them or the fact that the president doesn't is meaningless that's a good point. Mm. Yes, that's a good point. He's come you know, to care he's about like, them. No, yeah. yeah, he's like, he, he, at the beginning, he's very flippant almost about, mm-hmm. you know, well, I'm going in anyway. I might as well try to get my pardon. And, and yeah, then, you know, yeah. but then by the time it's over, yeah, like it, particularly Adrian Barbeau when he hands her the gun and realizes, yeah, she's going to sacrifice herself to get a little more time. And mm-hmm. he cares. Yeah. He doesn't, you know, he probably doesn't want to, but he does. And that's why he, he sort of gets furious when he realizes the president is, doesn't give a damn about any of them. So, yeah. Right, right. No, exactly. And I think that, you know, maybe this is the note we'll end on. Maybe it, maybe it won't be if any of you have something. But, man, Matt, you said it very succinctly. And, 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 and this is a little bit of a bumper sticker, but uh, I'm, I'm just going to go with it. You have to care. Nathan's quoted the, 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 we don't have a choice to be hopeless. And, uh, you know, I think there are many, many times where people can enter a situation and maybe they did go into it for sort of self-seeking interests and maybe it started off that way. Um, but at a certain point, uh, I, I, I think all of these people, you look at something like they live, which Nathan, I know has been a few years since you've seen, but you know, Roddy Piper starts out just as a survivalist, you know, like he's just sort of, a drifter making his way through, but then when he stumbles upon what's happening, uh, you know, and runs all out of bubble gum, then he absolutely, <laughs> he absolutely has to find a way to where he, he has to care. And, uh, same thing for snake Plissken, same thing for Jack Burton, uh, same thing for RG McCready and every, and, and, and in so many others of, uh, I would cite as well Catherine from Prince of Darkness, who who dives towards the mirror to save everybody. Like at a certain point, you have to care, and I know that's a very broad general statement that maybe doesn't have a lot of um, tangible substance in terms of well, here's how you go about caring. Well, I don't know what that looks like for every individual, and I don't know what that looks like. But in 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 as we're watching so many tumultuous things going on, it's very easy to be cynical it's very easy to be a bit um well you know if you have the opportunity steal the tape and and burn it all to the ground um but yeah just that simple phrase i keep coming back to and it'll probably be my final button on it is that at a certain point you have to care we don't have the as stevenson wrote we don't have the option of being hopeless um and at a certain point you have to care and i think that's a very very hearty reminder uh talk to us by the carpenter exactly (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Talk to us by none other than the Carpenter. initials Carpenter. are? They're JC. It's we know right they're there. JC. It's yes, right there. Yes, yes. It's, I mean, it's, yes, it's, it's pretty present. Um, 
let us <laughs> let us if we shall. We've talked for a very long time. I've loved with a full heart getting to spend this time uh, these these few hours with you, gentlemen. Uh, this has done me good, Likewise. heart and mind and soul. Um, if we can, let's uh, thank uh, thank you very much, Matt. Uh, you not so much, Nathan. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Um, let's do the fog meter. Uh, but can we do it for all three films? Because the fog Whoa, meter sure. didn't exist when we had the thing. Okay. Yeah, let's do let's let's do it uh, for all three films. Um, so yeah. Oh yeah, because it didn't. It, Were we doing pumpkins then? It didn't. We weren't even doing pumpkins. Oh, it was the wow! It was the ninth episode of our show. We we weren't doing Matt, any rating system. If you point. ever go back to those, it, it's so funny. I just listened to our the thing one today, and it's basically what what you've gotten from me these past three hours. Literally, this is not me exaggerating. It's I that episode <laughs> starts and it goes like this. Hey everybody, um, it's good to have you back on our show. And today we're going to be talking about like it's me. But I'm listening to it. And I'm like, that's not me. <laughs> that is that is a highly insecure person <laughs> who did not understand podcasting that he could be himself and cut loose. So yeah, it's hilarious. That's, that's hysterical. Um, so yeah, let's let's do it. Uh, and 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 I said that really quickly, but I need to get a different program up so that I can make sure I do the math right. Um, okay, so we're gonna do we're gonna do all three <laughs> films. We're gonna do the thing okay. and we're going to do uh escape from new york and we're going to do big trouble in little china we're going to start with uh just to n- minimize confusion we're going to start with uh escape Reed, from new york so, so are you gonna are you gonna get this math right because i gotta tell you no one trusts each other and we are all very tired up in here um, <laughs> <laughs> so your math. i'm absolutely gonna get <laughs> leaves this, a lot to be desired this math right. okay um okay so what are we starting with we're gonna start with this we're gonna start with escape from new york escape okay. from new york is what we're talking about okay so Escape from New York, uh, we measure these films on fear and God, meaning they're generally they're scares and their substance. Um, so for Escape from New York, I will lead and then I'll go to Matt and then I'll go to Nathan and we'll snake back around. Uh, we'll snake plus back around. So, uh, <laughs> so um, big snake on our, on our belly. Um, <laughs> belly tap. So, 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 um, so for Escape from New York on the fear measurement, I'm going to go uh, a, a, a little low just because, no, it's not very nightmarish. The dystopian thing is, is pretty real, but, um, and, you know, Matt, very, very fair point. Uh, pretty, pretty cynical uh, as, a, as an overall sort of theme. Um, I'm going to go with a five for Escape from New York on fear. Uh, Matt, what would you say for Escape from New York alone? I mean, I think that's, that's, that's decent. You know, it's a five, it, it you know, mm-hmm. but it's, it's somewhere in the middle. It's not, it's mm-hmm. not without tension. It's not without, but the fear is more, like it's not, it's not scary so much as, yeah, the fear there is more and just the desolation of the, the setting and the, the, the bleakness sure. of it. Yeah. Yep. 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 Absolutely. Nathan, what would you say? Hmm. Yeah. Five feels appropriate. Um, nothing inherently scary to it except for that that you know just i don't know i i, I keep thinking about the dread of looking ahead to 1997 oh yeah oh yeah. my gosh can you imagine <laughs> you know we're transmitting from 1999 but but no in all seriousness mm. with escape from new york just like it's weird to say things out loud like this but not to this scale of the film but to think yeah we would probably do this to ourselves that kind of thing mm, is a scary mm, kind yeah. of thing to ponder, but yeah. yeah. So five. So did you, did you a five? Okay. Yeah. Uh, what would you give it for the God meter? Um, I think f- of this crop, it's the most openly sort of cynical. Um, mm. 
of this crop of carpenter redux and i don't know that it really cares to say a whole lot more past effort um mm-hmm. and that's okay you know we, we all gotta exercise those demons um yeah so from that standpoint i'd, I'd probably go uh, i'm gonna go with the six on god okay mm-hmm. yep matt what would you say yeah i i think i'm gonna come in on you know I'm somewhere between a four and a five, but let's give it a five because it, it is okay. a solid film. But yeah, I don't, it's not, it's not really trying to say too much. It's just a, a really yeah. solidly told action movie. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, and you know, what's interesting is this conversation honestly has, has tempered me a bit. I think I was coming in prepared to give, to be a bit generous on the God meter just because uh, the, what it is after is pretty, pretty direct. Um, but yeah, I feel like the, the cynicism, especially in contrast to some other material from Carpenter sort of tempers me back down. So I'm going to land back at a five as well, which is pretty easy math for this one. We give it a five on the fog meter. Uh, and so that is, uh, how we land for escape from New York. Um, so now let's turn our attentions to the Arctic wasteland and go, uh, for the thing. Uh, I'm going to shake it up a little bit and we're going to go Matt, Nathan, me. So Matt, what would you give the thing on the fear measurement? Well, um, I, I think I'm going to come in on an eight on this one, just because the, mm. if you if you commit to the dread, I mean, again, it's not terror; it's just that that dawning realization that nobody's getting out of here, and it's just like, sure. how, you know, sure. when when is your, when it's going to come, and how are you going to pick your spot? So, yeah. So I think eight is is reasonable. Yep. Yep. Understood. Nathan, what about for you for the thing? I'm going to do it. Um, I'm going to go for a 10. I think for me, this go around that note of kind of sorrow amplified the general kind of despair that it's painting a picture of. And on top of that, even though I would say the, I even use this phrase, the, the kind of grotesquery borders on cartoonish. I also think at the same time, like if you want horror, like there's there's thriller, there's supernatural, there's all this. Sort of, if you want horror, yeah. this is that. Like wow. it is yeah. horrifying. It's it's because it's so kind of otherworldly. It starts to kind of be like, okay, this is just <laughs> just nuts what they're throwing on mm-hmm. screen. But that kind of note of sorrow, that sort of true horror in in terms of the visuals, um, the the kind of despairing final note really pushes it up uh, in terms of the the fear factor. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Um, I'm going to make this super quick and easy. Uh, my fear measurement is a 10. My God measurement is a 10. Um, the thing, I said something kind of off pod. Matt and I were chatting very briefly. I, the thing did a number on me watch rewatching it this time. I already loved it. I was, uh, I, you know, it, it was already an incredibly high esteem, but uh, just some of the things that it was tap dancing around in my imagination were just really profound to me this time. And I think, uh, it's humanity, uh, Nathan, as, as, as you pointed out, the, the small interior human moments, uh, are just really very, very prominent in my viewing this time around, as is the bleak dissolving of this community and the, and the tragedy. You used the word to me by text, sorrow, and I, you know, cited it in the episode as melancholy, but it's all just very, very uh, grief-riddled in a way that I find very profound. So, um, so yeah, 10 and 10 for me. Nathan, what would you give it for the God Meter? Yeah, it's a 10. I mean, I think 
that, you know, in, in the, we don't have the choice to be hopeless language. Like this movie shows you, here's what hopelessness looks like. Like Mm. the, the world's on fire around you. No one trusts each other. You're staring at your fellow man and, and no one can move. Like this is the definition of hopelessness. Um, and I think that's a, and unlike New York, I think it's uncynically presented. It's saying, guys, this is, this is the caution. Don't do this. Right. Like find ways Mm -hmm. into back into community anyway. So yeah, I'd I'd give it a solid 10. I'll I'll make that unanimous. I'll give it a 10 as well. It's yeah. It's just a a wonderful, I mean, really well done film. Not, not wonderful in a happy sense, obviously, but yeah, no, of course, of course. Um, listen, that means it's a solid nine and a half on the fog meter, uh, for the thing, which, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really, really incredible. And, uh, yeah. And I think very, very, very well deserved. Um, and so now, uh, we get to go to good old Jack Burton and his, uh, pork chop express. So this time around, I'm going to go, Nathan, me, Matt, and, sure. uh, and, and don't so hurt just, yourself. Uh, Nathan, okay. <laughs> I know, I know. Listen, I'm keeping all the math, all the numbers in my head. So, Nathan, what would you give Big Trouble for the fear measurement? Um, I mean, minus its its few kind of monster uh, elements, it's it's pretty unscary insofar as that goes. So, for if we're keeping it to fear, I'm gonna stick um three, three. Okay. Um, myself, I think, I don't know. This one's a tough one for me. Uh, but if I'm just talking fear, dread, it's not a nightmarish film. It's not a, it's not a scary thing. Even the monsters are kind of fun to look at. I think I'm going to go with a four on the fear measurement for myself. Matt, what would you give big trouble in little China? I mean, for fear, I, I, I mean, even a two seems much to me because, you know, but I'll, I'll <laughs> no. give it a two just because, but, but, you know, I'm, I'm, bit more jaded than you gentlemen perhaps in terms of you know, <laughs> truly horrific things but yeah sure so yeah yeah no i get it what would you give big trouble for uh the god meter oh 10 obviously awesome yeah I, yeah You're yeah, not that yeah jaded that's after it. all <laughs> hey it's an uncynical film um i you know what i, I i'm actually I'm actually gonna gonna go pretty close to that. I'm gonna give it a nine. The the abundance of heart, the the Matt, you used the word warmth in in description of it. Uh, I think really stood out to me this time around. I always enjoyed watching the film, but I think it came damn near inspiring me this time around. And uh, and and that was uh, that was just kind of uh, yeah, it was it was really refreshing to see that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna set it a nine for the God Meter. Nathan, bring us home. What would you give Big Trouble for the God Meter? Hmm. Um, I think for where I'm at with my viewing on it, I'm going to give it an eight. Um, I do love what I didn't even fully see until this conversation, this notion that you don't have to know everything. You just have to Mm. help and, 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 Mm. and, and partner with those partner with those you love as they try to overcome their, their adversities, you know, and I, I just, that's a really you know, in a surprising way. Okay, I'll do a nine. That's fine. I'll give it a nine. <laughs> <laughs> Just talk myself you talk, into you it. Talk yourself it's into just it a really lovely takeaway. I mean, it really is. Listen, listen. I can, I'm going to say this about John Carpenter's, a lot of John Carpenter's work. I just think that that succinct button you put fits. You don't have to know everything. You just have to help. 
like that fits in a lot of different places, you know, whether that's Halloween or whether that's they live or whether that's big trouble, in little China, that fits a lot of places. It, it's in assault on precinct 13 as well. You don't have to know everything. You just have to help. And, uh, and I think that's fantastic. So that means that we give big trouble, in little China, a six on the fog meter, uh, which uh, is pretty great to recap. We gave escape a five, the thing a nine and a half and big trouble, in little China, a six, but man, I'm going to miss talking about these. There's going to, there's going to, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that, like, in 2023, I'm going to be like, let's just do them all again. <laughs> let's just run, let's just walk through all these films again. I love them. I love them. Are so, we going to so do a recommend I, or no? I mean, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, we'll uh, when I come to each of you, say whether you would recommend any, I mean, any or all of them. So, yeah. uh, Nathan, I'll go to you first. Escape the thing in big trouble. I mean, of course, pretty much the answer is going to be yes for all three, for all of us. But I did want to a lot because it feels like, you know, when you like uh, Syndrome says, when everybody's incredible, no one is, um, is I would say if you're prioritizing them for me, I would go the thing, Big Trouble, New York. I think they're all mm-hmm. worthwhile and and have their own merit to them. I think if you're like, OK, I, I want I want the best of these three, I would start with the thing tonally extremely different than big trouble, but, but, uh, sliding it under sure. there. Yep. Yeah. The only adjustment I make of that is it depends on what you're in the mood for. If you, Absolutely. If you, fair. Yeah. Yes. Yes. True. Obviously. Yeah. Obviously that's, that's the big differentiating thing between the thing and, and, and big trouble is just, you know, do you want to do sure. a happy, hopeful story? Or do you want to, you know, <laughs> do you want to sit in, in the, in the, you know, the temperatures up all over camp, but that won't last long. Let's sit here and see what happens when it's a hundred below, you know? How, <laughs> so the question you have to ask yourself is, on on how good is the relational dynamic in your home <laughs> yeah <laughs> whether or not you get a stomach at all yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. matt matt same question to you do you recommend them and 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 oh, how yeah, would you prioritize them? yeah 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 so and recommend like them. It, yeah yeah absolutely would would recommend all three and again yeah i would i would as nathan said you know it's it just it's just for me i would probably my my own personal taste at this point would probably be to go with big trouble first but that's really mm-hmm. it's it just really what are you in the mood for yeah yeah you know, no like, i i wholeheartedly agree with that of course and, i you know escape is worth a look for sure it's just the, the fact sure. that i'm i'm picking putting it at the bottom does not mean you shouldn't give it a shot it's just, sure yeah sure no i think that i think that's really fair and uh closing us off i mean for myself of course i recommend all three films um but in contrast i actually recommend i would i would pitch uh, I think Matt makes a good point of like whatever you're in the mood for. But if you just want to see all three of them and you kind of don't know what you're in the mood for, I would actually pitch going in the order uh, chronologically. I would start with Escape because it's probably the weakest experience. is sort of a ramp up. The Thing is the strongest to peak in the middle. And Big Trouble <laughs> is a great palate cleanser to The Thing. Um, because if you finish off The Thing and you just need like, whoo, boy, I need to feel better about the world. Well, pop in Big China. Jack Burton's got your number. And he Big will, China. He will make you feel little better. Little trouble in Big China. Yeah. <laughs> little trouble in Big China. Did I say big China? I, I probably did. Um, so it's big kind of a more of a geopolitical statement these days than anything. Um, that's a good, I also that's love a good point. that the way you position that is very much an indicator. Like I just got exhausted here and you say, Hey, <laughs> go in order. I'm like, I don't have time to do that. Like I'm, t- I'm trying to <laughs> like, tell you if you're going to get cutthroat, <laughs> you're like, watch all three in a row. <laughs> I just, I just assume everybody's got all the time. Right, um, right. So, so Matt cannot thank you enough for yes. being with us. This is just 
been a delight, man. Just been a delight. Well, this is um, a great pleasure for me, and you know, I'm sure we'll do this again. So, no problem. Absolutely, absolutely, and and maybe before then, but definitely sometime around February, we're going to be talking to you uh, to 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 yeah, be checking out for ourselves and have a have a conversation on book club uh, to get into Destroyer Worlds. Yeah. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. And we may have you on even before that time. But yeah, it's always a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for taking your time. Nathan, as always, thank you so much for spending this time with me as well. Uh, listeners, thank you very, very much. Uh, next week, we're going to start something that we hope you will find kind of charming and kind of special. This has been a, a journey through Stranger Things um, and uh, started the first half of this series looking at some works from John Carpenter. Next week, we're going to do something a little offbeat. We're going to start something a little offbeat. So patrons... Uh, tune in to the patron segment for Stranger Things Season 4, Episode 5 is what we're going to be talking about there. And then for the main content, Nathan and I made you a mixtape. So uh, we're going to start the first uh, the first song on that mixtape, and, and, and we're going to go through an 80s mixtape, so we're going to surprise you each way. Um, but, but, but the first song or the first movie that we want you to cue up uh, is, uh, is, is Never Say Die. Uh, we want you to go to the Goonies uh, next week. So next week, acquaint yourself with Stranger Things, Season 4, Episode 5 for you patrons and for everybody. Check out Richard Donner's film, The Goonies, uh, for the start of our 80s mixtape as we wind down our talk about Stranger Things. Final note, you made me think of this because you said Nathan and I made you a mixtape. And I just got to tell everybody, I'll reiterate this when we actually start it. Uh, I do try to exercise occasionally so that my snake tattoo doesn't grow to ungodly proportions. But uh, (laughs) recently, the the coach on the class uh, referenced a mixtape. And she said, love yeah. is a mixtape. And I was like, there it is. Love is a mixtape. And yeah. we're going into the love is a mixtape. 80s mixtape mm. uh, series on the fear of God. So there you go. I love it. I love it. So listeners, we'll see you here next week. And as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. We'll see you next week, everybody. See you guys. Bye, Matt. Bye, Nathan. Bye-bye. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for links to our social media, essays, and episode archive merchandise and more. If you love what we do, please consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash thefearofgodpodcast. There you'll unlock exclusive bonus episodes, extended standard episodes, online event access, and so much more. We want to issue a special thanks to Jacob Hunt of TracerMatula.com for our artwork, also to our assortment of talented musicians, including Andrew Nelson, The Island Family, and Jackson Harper for our varied show tunes, and also to Lee Wright, who helped me, Reed Lackey, write our theme music. Special thanks also to Tyler Smith at MoreThanOneLesson.com. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Hi, everybody.